Welcome to Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak, where we explore the tools and tactics that drive improvement. If you're hungry for more and better, if you want to move past hype and discuss how, you're in the right place. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine. Anthony, it is super fun. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. Man, we go back. Uh, I thought I'd start before probably most of your business interview conversations begin. Um, dude, how old were we when we first clicked and started having conversations like Jeez, this? I would say 13. Yeah, probably seventh grade, eighth grade tops. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it was a long time ago. Yeah, man. Okay. And I have to say, we clicked on a lot of things, but some of my early memories is uh, is how we ran the table playing the card game Spades. <laughs> those, those were some those were some fun days. I mean, the group we were in, like that was the popular cool thing. Tournaments. You were uh, often socially ranked, and maybe and nobody said this out loud, so maybe I just totally <laughs> misread this. But I felt like part of your social rank was like, "Well, how good of a spades player are you?" Um, well, yeah, you weren't part of the in crowd unless you could, you know, you could throw down. I yeah, mean, yeah, and and let me just say, part of why I clicked with you early is because, dude, you could throw down, um, and I don't just mean the cards. You ran your mouth the whole game, the whole time. <laughs> I really remember we'd be up and we'd just be feeling it. Like, dude, we got these guys. And you'd be like, you know what, Scotty, uh, deal me every third card face up. These people need a hand. And so I'd be like, yeah, yeah, they're struggling. They're struggling. And so we would just like show your cards before the hand. And you're just like, oh, oh, that ace. I'm going to win with that one. Oh yeah. You know, that one's coming. I mean, it was it was brutally hilarious, man. I, uh, I have some good memories those times. Gosh, you know, I almost forgot that we did. We were, you know, I guess thinking back, we were probably jerks. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. What I thought was fun. I, there's somebody on a podcast right now talking about, dude, when I was a kid, there were these jerks who played with us. And they, they're telling the same story from a totally different position. Um, but, but you know, part of that though, I mean, if I guess if you look at the progression of our lives and where we ended up, it was all communication skills because a lot of that chatter and that talk was uh-huh. really us throwing signals back and oh, forth tons. and it drove our decision-making, which brings us straight into what we're talking about today. Right. I mean, how do you bid and, and how do you win and what are we going to do? And that was all yeah. part of the process. Dude, you're, you're totally right. We used that as a cover, uh, our, our sarcastic humor as a cover to talk to each other. Cause you're not supposed to, right. You're not supposed to know what the other guy has. Yeah, no, we knew what was going on. That was as good for me as it was for, uh, for the other guys. So yeah, but okay. Decisions you, man, it has been a ride. So give us what you do now. Right. And I, I, we may go back and get how you got there, but let's start with what do you do? Um, so I am the president of trade hub international and I build import export strategies for companies entering new markets. And we take companies all the way from the research, uh, through the entire process, forming the relationships, uh, logistics strategies, pricing strategies, everything they might need to implement either a sourcing or a distributor type relationship straight into the execution. And many of my clients actually just tell me, we don't want to mess with it. We're just going to leave them with you. Yeah. It's easier. Or I give them a turnkey department and I walk away uh, depending on what their needs are. Yeah. Okay. So 
give me a couple of examples of some of your clients or cool projects. I mean, I don't want you to share confidential stuff that you don't have to, sure, but sure. If you got some give flesh that out. What does that look like? Well, I mean, I'm industry independent, um, so I can okay. go across all industries. Uh, you know, in the last few years, I've worked playground equipment, cheese manufacturing equipment. I've worked uh, <laughs> medical devices. I, I've worked chemicals and acids. And I mean, you go down the list of what I have touched over the years, small electronic components. Um, it's it's all across the boards. And I, and I partner with different entities to help me find those clients and, and to work. So for instance, I'm contracted with the AmCham in Slovenia, or I'm contracted with uh, ProMexico, uh, which is their equivalent of Department of Commerce, or was, they're no longer in existence. I work with Dick de Monterrey as a professor. We work with companies down there through the tech mm -hmm. that could eventually become clients or, you know, just different entities or associations that I kind of work through yeah. uh, to generate that buzz and to give me access to their pool of clientele. And, and you know, and, and I think part of the, the process is really just caring about the client. Mm. Um, and that's really what's driven the business. Uh, but it's exciting. It's, it's great. It's fun. And, and I mean, but it, you know, it, it can be a little bit daunting at times. I mean, you're moving from, you know, labeling for meat products through the <laughs> FDA or USDA. And then all of a sudden you're transitioning over to, you know, medical device registration in Europe. And yeah. they expect me to be the expert in all of these things. Right, right. You know, so over the summer, you know, I'm sitting here registering two medical devices through the MDR process in Europe going, okay, I'm an expert in that now. <laughs> so yeah. <that's> <laughs> so, thanks for sharing that. Cause I, I think that frames why we're going to unpack kind of decision-making and information flows and all this stuff. Cause, cause it's, uh, this is a constant challenge for you. You don't get the same situation again and again and again, you're constantly throwing new complex situations. And then like, even all the way to decide whether you take a client or not. Right. I mean, you, you get way more invitations and opportunities than you say, that's actually someone that the trade hub international wants to work with. So how you filter all that is what I want to get into, right? The, the focus of my conversations is less uh, motivating people to care. Like I, we're kind of assuming the people who care are the ones who come and now we're like, great, how, how in the world do you dance through all that? And so yeah. I, I thought I'd go back though. And like, before we get into current state, let me, let me zigzag back in. Sure. How did you get into this? Right. How does a kid from South Florida playing spades? Uh, cause I think, did you start straight off into kind of international device <laughs> registration? Absolutely not. Oddly <laughs> enough, I went to university of Miami, uh, from Dillard high school and, nice. and I was going to be a pediatrician. That was the deal. Um, I was going yeah. to be a pediatrician two years in, I found out that, uh, botany <laughs> threw me for a loop. I remember sitting in a classroom, looking at my professor and saying, you know, show me a child with a xylem and a phloem and I will care about this class. Um, that didn't win me any points or any good grades for sure. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I struggled with that. I ended up leaving college. I dropped out. I was, young, you know, uh, cause I started college at 17. I, you know, I turned 18 mm -hmm. while in college, you know, I, I ended up uh, 19 years old. I was working at Best Buy while in college. I, and so when I dropped out of school, took a full-time position with Best Buy and then really transitioned that into management. So I went into retail management first, 
was running a $55 million sales floor at Charleston, South Carolina and geoing a store grand opening, yeah, you know, yeah. a brand new store there. And, and so that was my track. That was my trajectory. I was, I was retail. Um, I knew that retail wasn't where I wanted to be. And then I fast forward a few different retailers later, I was doing <laughs> some regional work, was doing IMS, which is inventory management system implementation, point of sale implementation, was doing front of house, back of house. So I wasn't just sales anymore. I started to get yeah. an operational piece. And I, I went back to school at Charleston Southern University. And I was it was just to get the degree. I knew that if I wanted out of retail, I had to have something. Mm. And they forced me, and I mean forced because I was pretty livid. I, I had a full-time job as a manager mm -hmm. and I graduated in the, in the spring semester. And so we were going through season, you know, holiday season at Toys R Us and inventory season. And I'm going, guys, I don't have time for an internship. Yeah. They forced me into an internship. And they said, well, we'll give you a good one. It should be, it should be fit your needs, right? It's going to be good for you at the world trade center in South Carolina. Huh. And so that was really my first introduction to international. And I remember walking in there day one, I'm listening to everyone talk. I'm hearing all the, the banter about international and the companies and the excitement going around. And it clicked for me. I realized I know more about international trade than anyone in this room. Hmm. And I, you know, I was in my mid twenties. I mean, you say, well, what did you really know? Come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, you're full of crap. But, I'm pretty sure I knew everything when I was 23. Yeah, I mean, well. yeah. But that's what, but that's in my mind, right? That's what I'm processing. <laughs> yes. And, and yes. But the reality was, is that I understood the entire process. I just didn't have relationships, mm. but the world trade center could provide me those relationships. So I finished the internship, quit my job, took a 70% pay cut mm -hmm. and took on a, a grant where we were trading agricultural companies to export. So wow. I became an ag export you know, specialist for the state. I would go in and talk to companies and it was really a part-time gig. So when I quit my job, I was working full-time hours for part-time money. I had kids at home, uh, you know, and, and they're, and family, everyone's thinking I'm crazy. I'm like, no, no, I got this. Yeah. Okay. So like, so, get me inside your head. How sure, do you sure. make this kind of a pivot? Cause, cause you know, on the one level resume wise, that looks pretty cool. Retail international export right. one, one's got more, you know, prestige than the other. But when you get to the reality of it, dude, 70% pay cut. I mean, this is not you. And again, let's be clear, right? Wife and kids, this is not a, a casual decision that you know <laughs> it was it was a tough one i yeah. mean especially since everyone was against me and i was really good at the retail side yes every wow. store that i worked at you know moved from the bottom to the top so uh -huh. i was bringing uh -huh. you know stores up i understood the operations i could do it in my sleep and so i was doing a great job on the retail side and really what drove the decision making process for me was understanding that I knew and I had the information necessary to excel in a field where I had a little bit more control over my destiny and where I wanted to head. Mm. Retail was tough working weekends all the time, nights, you know, there was no consistency. Yeah. I knew that wasn't the end game for me. I knew there was something more out there. And, you know, up until that point, you know, I, I never connected international with 
what I was doing. All I knew about international was my fur real kitties were stuck at a port out in LA and I couldn't get them. Right. <laughs> those who know what a fur real kitty is now. I mean, that's like 20 years ago, I was gonna but, say. But, yeah. but you know, I, I remember sitting there thinking, God, that that's, that's it. Right. That's what I think about international and logistics. And, and, but I was moving product. I was managing all those components. And, and so I had this information that nobody else in the office had. And I saw that I actually could fill a need mm. in an industry that didn't have a lot of experts mm-hmm. and, and everybody, I mean, if you think of retail, I mean, that was kind of the, that's your point of sale, but that's everything. I mean, really the logistics, how do you get your trucks in, you know, you're moving stuff, inventory management, yeah. point of sale. That's actually almost the entire process in itself. And, and within six months of me taking that transitioning from intern into a staff member, you know, part-time staff member on a grant, I end up taking over education and trade services and writing a curriculum on import export that was taught in the technical colleges throughout the state. And so I became this subject matter expert all of a sudden. And, and really it was because I had a lot of the information I knew yeah. so much coming out. And, and I think that that helps drive your decision-making because what I, what I have learned, no matter what job you're in, no matter what you're doing in life as an entrepreneur, your, your brain is always working. Mm. You learn what you can learn in any given situation. And then you leverage what you learned for the next stepping stone to move forward. Yes. But you have to take it an inventory of what you have going on in your head. And sometimes it, it takes a little bit of cockiness and a little, you know, <laughs> and a little trash. Talk. I like to call it audacity, right? Audacity. It feels right? a little nicer to me, but you know, yeah, you know but you tomato, to, tomato, right? Yeah, whatever. But you have to believe in yourself, right? You, yes. you have to have that belief in yourself that, Hey, I'm better than this. Hmm. You know, um, it, it was funny. Actually, I was talking to this, uh, this group out of Slovenia, you know, a few years back and there's a bunch of entrepreneurs and, and young companies that were trying to ex- expand into the international marketplace. And they, they had been beat up for days. I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm talking some big wigs. I won't mention the companies that come in there and just slapped them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if I, I will just say a major bank was there. Okay. okay. And they couldn't, they could go nowhere. Right. He's like, yeah, you guys are done. You guys got no business going on here. So I remember sitting there in front of them and, and I think this is really what it comes down to. Right is believing in yourself and, and, and knowing, you know, taking that stock in what you can do. I, I told him, I said, look, I said, I wake up every morning and I look in that damn mirror and I say, God, that's one sexy beast. <laughs> and I say that every day to myself <laughs> and, and until I believe it, because if I believe it, everyone else is going to believe it too including my wife who really just married a, a short, you know, fat, bald guy, but she, hey. she, she's going to believe this is one sexy beast. I was going to say, that, that's not the story she tells. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is that, you know, it takes that belief in yourself to, to make that transition, to take that step because how often are we presented with an opportunity or we see something and we have, we're, we're at a pivot point, as you say, mm. Mm-hmm. We're at that pivot and we have to make a critical decision, but we don't have belief in ourselves and belief in our skills. And, and we don't have a full inventory of what we're capable of. And so we shy away from it. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I've seen this a lot. We underestimate, I've done this. We I underestimate what's what I know because I don't see how it applies to another setting, right? It's like, I mean, I'm sure I know retail, but, but what does it have to do with international? And then just a little bit of research and exposure later, you suddenly realize, oh, this is much more valuable than I realized. I, I say this all the time. People, we're often the worst person at evaluating our best strengths because we think it's normal. Normal, right. You don't, you don't know anything other than being Anthony Russo. So like, well, yeah, I'm sure I can organize all these systems and see seven steps down the road and then do it with a bit of cockiness. Yeah. I, sure. I can handle all that. Walk into the unknown and enjoy it. But I mean, who doesn't, right? I mean, that's pretty normal. And then it's the rest of us like, dude, we, that's not normal, right? You don't realize, we don't realize what we're capable of if we just sit in one setting. So I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm hearing things and I'm going to pull them out and see if I'm like, these are true. So challenge me if I'm biffing this. Right. But one of the things I think is really interesting is how you did, you went into a frame shift. Like you, you went from one environment to a totally different environment, which I, we, we can't claim that one's part of the good decision-making, right? Like you were, for, <laughs> you were forced into that one. Um, so we'll, we'll put that one in the luck category. But once you were in that totally other environment, it unlocked a lot of things for you that you wouldn't have seen if you'd have gone to another retailer, right? right. If you'd have gotten a, it would have been nice. It would have been comfortable. So there's something about putting yourself in this foreign environment, uh, in your case, literally foreign that I think opens up, makes us see things that we thought were normal or maybe less normal. Um, and then the second is, is yeah, this idea of like, when I don't know what it's all going to turn out like, the thing I'm betting on is not necessarily the environment that I'm betting on myself. Um, right. this idea like, okay, I don't it's know like how to do that. Day of my yet. life, Scott. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Like I, I mean, I know it yet, but yeah, just give me a summer. I'll figure it out. I'll be an expert in medical device. Your trade registration. Sure. sure. Got it. <laughs> yes. My client doesn't listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, that's the thing about expertise that that's been my story too. Um, like I didn't start as an expert. And so like, how do you get to be an expert? Well, guess what? Every expert out there didn't start as an expert. Nobody was born with expertise in medical. How did you learn that? Well, somebody takes on a project, does the research and then delivers the goods. That's and what do you know? If you can successfully figure that out, you can say, I now have that expertise, put that on the resume. That is how all of us develop skills. And I think so many people are sitting there that the decision they're thinking is I can only do that after I'm an expert, but you won't get to be an expert unless you try it in the first place. No, you're exactly right. And it's, and it's funny because sometimes it's not even just about trying it. It's, it's actually seeing it. Ooh, say more. What do you mean by that? So, so I remember and get it. I started my company in 2005, right? Okay. Yes. So this is two pivots later. We've skipped over a couple pivots, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's, um, we'll go back and get those. Yeah. We'll get those later. But you know, I, I remember sitting in a room and this was really life-changing for me. Uh, it was probably the second most life-changing experience. I think that I, I ever had hmm. as far as from the standpoint of just clicking, the first one was this really, really wealthy guy coming in one day and, and I was working in retail part-time while running my company because I, I wanted to make sure I had a good foundation, you know, as I was starting yep. and, you know, I, I didn't want to put my family in a position where I couldn't provide. So I, I needed mm. to have something backing it up. And I remember him walking in one day and he told me, you're like a millionaire writing one cent checks. 
Hmm. And he was a buddy of mine. And that's all he said. He said nothing else. He didn't say hello. Didn't say goodbye. <laughs> he says that to me, turns around and walks away. And I never wanted to slap someone harder in my life than I wanted to slap him. But that got me thinking, right? That yes. you know, what he was talking about is the inventory that we have in our minds and, and the value that, that he saw in me and the expertise mm. that I had that I wasn't seeing for myself. Mm. And I was writing one cent checks. Wow. Fast forwarding to the second biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost in line with this because I'm sitting in a, in a, an office and I took a lot of what I do internationally and I kind of turned it domestically. Okay. I started, I start working cause I want to do local work with some of the organizations and, and uh, manufacturing manufacturers here in the state of Colorado, for instance. So what I did is I started working with the small business development center. I started working with different entities, manufacturers, edge world trade center here in the state, you know, different people who could use my expertise and where I could help. Yeah. And I remember walking into a company, um, here in the state and we walked, we started out in the front office. We started walking through his business. We started talking about manufacturing layout and basically lean, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about lean techniques and kind of how he had the flow going. And, and, and then we got over to the shipping department. We started talking shipping and we started talking about, you know, how do you unload the trucks and processing those trucks and the processes to that piece of it. Mm-hmm. And then we're going over to the other side and I see his, he's got like some peg hooks hanging with some of his product. And I said, Oh, you're preparing for the planogram here. I see you're mapping it out. And yeah. we're talking about packaging. We're talking about UPC label registration, all these other things. Then we get out of his office. We're sitting down in his or out of the, the shop. We get down to his office. He pulls out the, the PL because I asked to see it. Yeah. And I was evaluating his PL. And he just sat back in his chair and he goes, Whatever you're charging, you're not charging enough. I said, What do you mean? Huh. He said, You have expertise that I've never seen before. You just walked through my entire business and were able to speak to every discipline in my entire building with authority and confidence, hmm. not just throwing things against the wall, but actually giving good insight. Yeah. And now you grab my PNL and you're able to evaluate my whole business off of a PNL. Hmm. He says, I don't know how you learned all of that, but nobody else out there can walk into someone's office and do that. I said, huh? So I, I, I then began to, to really take that personal inventory. Yeah. Or then it was just that, you know, with confidence, I, I would take a role or a job or a contract thinking I could do it. But it was that pivot there where I took that inventory and I said, you know what? I need to really figure out what I can do. Mm. That turned into, you know, a contract, I guess it was what two, it just ended about a year ago. So it was for three years where a company actually hired me to fix their business, Mm. took a contract GM role. They were losing a hundred, their net operating was a negative one fifty. 150,000 per year. Hmm. And I, oh. I turned it around to where there were 650,000 net operating positive. Um, that's, fairly that's, quick. Yeah. That's pretty good. And she sold the business for, uh, you know, $7 million. Yeah. You know, so it's because I took stock in it. I said, okay, what are, what are the skills I have bring to the table? And now I'm making an informed decision based on what I have in the inventory that I have here. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also where can it apply? let's unpack this. How, I mean, how long ago is this? I mean, you're, you know, twenties, you're having this first revelation. Hey, maybe I can, it's international space. Is this like two years later or is this? No, no. This, this, this second pivot I'm talking about where the guy told me that I have assets. 
that I, that I'm bringing to the table was, was probably 2013. Oh, we're talking 14, eight years. You're doing this stuff, learning stuff, doing things. And you don't have, you don't even have, again, this, it's a, not a one-time thing is what I'm hearing. This kind of continually next leveling up of like, okay, I think I understand who I am and what I'm capable of, but you had to revisit that eight years later all over again and have another epic, like, wait a minute. I still am not seeing fully what I'm capable of. Yes. And it really was, it became a crazy revelation really, because it it allowed me to branch out from where I really was this expert in import export. And I mean, when I say expert, I've been flown all over the world. presentations in Russia. You know, I, I was flown down to Mexico to talk to the agave growers on how to export tequila. I mean, I, I, I go all over the place across industries. And, and so, you know, that was where I was kind of pigeonholed and it was always focused on the, on the, the research again, all the way through the implementation, what do you have to do? Mm -hmm. But I never stopped to think of all the, the operational pieces that go into that. Yeah. Cause I can talk supply chain. Yeah talk inventory management. I can talk reordering points and how to set that up. I can talk about resource management. Um, you know, these are all things that play into it that for me, I was taking for granted Hmm. and I was just doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how did, how did you actually do this? What did that? So do you sit down with a laptop? Do you call a friend? Do you, I mean, what is, what are the actual mechanisms? How do you go about doing one of these kind of reinventory moments? I actually sat down with, uh, looked, stared at the computer and started writing it out. Okay. What, what have I done mm-hmm. that look like? And what does that translate to in the real world outside of my, my comfort zone? Yeah. 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 Comfort zone. And, and here's a kicker. This will really throw you off. I hated traveling internationally before I became an international person. <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I didn't like it. <laughs> so, yeah. So you stretch yourself, right? So this was a stretch operation. I mean, I sat down and said, okay, what am I good at? I mean, I'm, I'm talking really good at, how can I do this? What are the things that I can bring to the table? Yeah. And then how does that translate into the real world? Because I walk into companies and I'm evaluating them and doing all these things. And I'm doing gap analysis of companies. Mm-hmm. How, how do I go in and say, okay, I can translate into, these are the things that I can do. Yeah. And really, I wrote based on this, this really based on these conversations, a gap analysis where I was walking to businesses and I did a full analysis of their entire company. Mm-hmm just one discipline, but I can look at it all because, you know, you, you think about how the world works today and, and the workplace it's, it's siloed, right? We're all siloed. Yeah. Yeah. Especially you think specialty means getting narrower and narrower in my little silo, but, but decisions aren't made in a silo. Hmm. Every decision that you make impacts every discipline in your business. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every decision I make as a, as an entrepreneur or as an owner of a business impacts every facet of my life, whether yeah. it be family, whether it be, you know, my downtime, my leisure time, you know, I, I can overwork myself. I can, whatever it is, yeah. I make decisions, they, they, they impact those things. So nothing is made in a silo mm-hmm. that that's, that's really what you do is you kind of look at it, take that personal inventory and then see how it impacts every aspect of your business. And then how does it impact your ability to deliver something to that client and help them to also see that you have to go outside of that silo, right? You have to, you have to think as a whole and a totality. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, 
there's an intuition here that um, is a process to it. I don't want to say that there's no process, but but some of this stuff is uh, is hard to quantify, right? What's the percentage of impact, and what's the what's my downtime, uh, you know, numerical score? Like I, that's hard to pin down, but that doesn't mean you can't evaluate it, think about it, sit on it, and just say, "Man, my gut is pretty clear." Right? I mean, that that's what works for me. Is this how that this category works for you? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, and, and I think in, in my personal life. I make quick decisions, right? Mm-hmm. I see the opportunity and, and I kind of say, okay, we, if this is going to be a pivot moment, this is how we're going to, we're going to pivot right now. Um, this has to happen because if I wait, I'm missing the opportunity. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're looking at a business decision and you're looking at a decision as an executive, you're looking at it from a corporation, whatever that might be. I mean, obviously it's a little bit different. I, I in fact, I won't even work with a client that doesn't start with research. Oh, interesting. They will not allow me to conduct research in the beginning. I will not work with them. Okay. What kind of research were you talking about here? I'm talking all the metrics. I want to do macro micro research into whatever market it is or whatever area we're going into, whatever that looks like. And the reason for it is that I want an informed decision and I want to know how it's going to impact the totality of my, of the organization. Mm-hmm. We're going to start making recommendations based on the, on this research and that could impact every facet of your business. So I, I think there's two levels here, right? I mean, my gut tells me it's a good idea. Yeah. In my personal life, I, I you know, or my own personal business, I might leap sometimes before I think. I might I might go out there and I might I'm, I'm not risk adverse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I'm willing to make the mistake. I'm willing to fail. You know, because no one will remember how you fell, right? They're going to remember how you got back up. So That's I'm willing it. to do that. I'm willing to, to kind of take a little bit of a step forward. Yeah, and honestly, I think if you weren't, you wouldn't be where you are today, right? Um, not all of your leaps have worked out, but but most of the best stuff you've got came because you were willing to to try it at a leap. So yeah, I I would endorse that entirely. But you're. I think where you're heading though, the implication is that maybe not so much the same when you're doing a client deal. No, no. And I, and I think that focus really comes down to that research piece. And when I talk about research, I mean, I go deep. Hmm. For instance, I was working on a medical device company and they're big, they, they treat cerebral palsy. That's their okay. business, biggest indication. And that means 2.1% of a population, because that's a general number globally, hmm. is going to have CP. Okay. So basically your research is going to be population based. Yeah. That's yeah. It. So how do you, how do you go deeper than that? And so in that case, I started looking at, um, you know, pregnancies of a woman after a certain age, I started to look how many kids they had after a certain age, mm-hmm. because in my mind, I thought the developed countries would be less likely to be a client because they have better healthcare. They, you know, they have access. Okay. You know, yeah. What I found out was, is the more money you're making, the longer women are in the workforce and they're having children at a later age, it actually led to higher risk, which meant that actually developed countries were a, a higher target than your lower income countries. So, so this is brilliant because we just talked about the, the audacity to go with, I'm pretty sure my gut can do this compared to like, this is a story where your gut was pretty much backwards. Um, it was backwards. Yeah. Huh. Backwards. And so, and, and so for me, you know, I wouldn't have jumped on a decision like this if it was my company. And right. the reason being is, you know, you have to, you have to look deeper and, and numbers tell the story, right? So any, mm-hmm. anything I do when it look, I look at a, I, actually I'll give you another perfect example, Brazil, yeah. 2013, 
I had an intern who did a bunch of research. They wanted to do a trade mission uh, from an organization down to Brazil. Mm -hmm. And he said, focus on construction. Okay. Shows me the numbers. And I look at him, I go, man, that's amazing. But why is it so amazing? Why is it that Brazil in 2013 is investing so much in infrastructure and construction? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's because, you know, they, they're growing and they're just, oh yeah, that, that's all there, but let's look a little deeper. And I happen to know off the top of my head what this was, mm. which was, it was the world cup. It was 2014 world cup. Oh yeah. 2016. So they were investing heavy into infrastructure. So if we would have gone in 2013 with that data, gone to companies, recruited them and brought them down in 2014, they'd already missed the boat. Yeah, exactly. The contracts are already signed and we're not doing another world cup next year. No. So, so the, the numbers can lie mm. and that's why it's important to get the story behind those numbers and why even, you know, for me, I can make a decision based on, and, and I will say this, there's a lot of gut instincts when I make that decision personally. Yeah. However, it's because I took the inventory of what I'm capable of doing. Yeah. I've done research on myself. Yeah. And I know what I'm capable of before I made the decision to, to jump. So it, it, although there's a gut piece to it, I, I already know that research has been done to, to where I feel the confidence hmm. I can pull off what I'm about to say I can do because I know that the skill sets exist yeah. and I can put it together. It might take me a minute, but I can put it together. That's the same thing as doing research on a market, right? Mm -hmm. So, so knowing yourself for that personal decision is critical which is basically doing research on yourself, just like you would be doing research yeah. on a market. Micro is, am I capable of what? <laughs> Macro is, how does it impact my family and other pieces of my life? And once I put it all together, I feel, you know, I know kind of what I'm looking at when I make that decision. So I think that it's really the same, right? At the end. Yeah, I mean, that makes job, a lot of sense. It, that jump is based on something. It's a, uh, I've heard it called data informed decision-making, right? Like there's still that last five, 10% that, you know, it, it, it's very hard if, if impossible to pin down the final bit of numbers, but you can get the big pieces, you can lay out kind of the frame and then, and then you have to have the courage to, to make the call. But but to spend a little time doing that, you didn't just um, make pivots because you just woke up in a mood one day and decided, I want to have a different company. There was a customer input and there was a personal inventory and there's, a, and because of those data points, now you have the, the courage to go make some of that leap. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. That's really good. It was, and it's funny because someone actually asked me one, told me one time, you know, as, as we were going through it, he says, man, you know, they were talking about an executive, you know, he's yeah. like, man, he thinks you're arrogant. And I said, you know what the difference between arrogance and confidence is, right? He goes, what's that? Your ability to perform. Ah, yes. <laughs> and I, and he just, he looked at me and I think he wanted to slap me. <laughs> you know, it, it's true because I knew what I was capable of. So I wasn't speaking without information. And so what you're saying is exactly right. If mm. you with confidence that you're able to do it, then, you know, you're, you're okay. You've taken that data in. And, and I think that's important because I mean, what we're doing is it's high risk and it import, it really does impact businesses at, at a high level. Um, and everyone has to be behind it. And, and you're talking to, in some cases, I'm talking to engineers one day, mm. I'm talking to a logistics guy in the back room the next day. And then I'm talking to an executive that, that just cares yeah. about sales how do you bring all those components together? And it's only through information you can do that. Yeah. 
Dude, this has been awesome. Um, in fact, I talk about, I think I've, I've told you this, right? We're getting ready for this podcast, these these kind of five systems that drive a lot of this stuff. And we hit most, if not all of them, kind of tangled together, right? That's why that's why there's, there's not one solution for a successful life. We started trying to focus on decision-making, but you, we've just been talking about self-awareness, right? Do we really see yourself and how that, when that increases? Well, and then there's this healthy inner life, like the courage to take a leap, the audacity to say, Hey, maybe I can actually pull something off. And of course, mixed in all this, we said like three times jokingly, but, but legitimately like the, maybe the skill that threads through it all is, you know, how to learn things. Um, it's not, not just, uh, what do I already know, but what do I believe I'm capable of learning? And so man, when you start and then you start putting all this stuff together, right? What do you know? You can make big strategic decisions that look look giant to outsiders. Like, why would you leave your management and retail job for this part-time? And if you lay it all out, actually this data informed, I've got enough courage on the inside to go for it. I've had a self-awareness revelation. Now I'm set up to make a kind of decision that, that I would say it's so funny. We laugh about how much you hate international travel. Uh, and I happen to know as a friend, right? Like you, you love international travel so much. Not only do you and your wife go for fun, you own property in other countries because you want to keep visiting more often. Like the opportunities and the life that can be created when you start stacking this stuff, it's, I don't know. I'll speak for myself. Dude, the stuff I'm getting to do is bigger than I thought was possible when I was our, you know, we were first playing spades. Um, and I was kind of a crazy dreamer and it's like, yeah, it's amazing what can happen if you just keep working on this stuff. Well, and so I'm going to throw in the other, the other, you know, pillar we talked about communication yeah. is your decision-making powers are useless without the, the power of communication. <laughs> so uh, true. You know, so so it, it all comes into play. And, and so I view things in totality always. Mm. And, and that's part of why my company is called trade hub, because I wanted to be the center that brought everything together. Right. So I, I don't know how to speak to just decision-making without touching those other points, because all of those points equal decision-making. Yeah, uh, They're all part of it. And that communication piece. I mean, if you can't communicate your dream, if you can't communicate why you're making the decision, your people are never going to support you, yeah. which means your decision is a bad decision from the get-go. Not because it, it's it's a bad decision. Yeah, maybe the data was right. Yeah. Right, maybe everything else is right, but you weren't able to communicate that to your people, which means they won't support you, mm. which means you're never going to accomplish or achieve the goal that you have out there. Mm. That communication piece is, is going to be critical. So, I mean, I, I, it all flows together. I, I mean, it's kind of one of these things where, again, we like to silo. Yeah. We yeah. Vision. Well, it starts with, I did my homework, did the numbers. I can communicate those clearly. Um, you know, I mean, isn't that the joke about engineers is that you know, they can crunch the numbers, but they can't tell you about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, this is all part of that process. And I think that, you know, you go back to, you know, when, when you, I mean, you and I have talked over the years, mm -hmm. uh, even when you got started and when you yeah. were pivoting, um, the communication that we had back then, you know, was, was critical, I think to your business, but you know, it also helps me to, to kind of refocus, right. Because I can sit there and, yeah. and, and bounce ideas off of each other and say, Hey, this is what we're working on. This is what I'm doing. And now that I'm saying it to you, that's pretty stupid. 
Uh, <laughs> we have had that conversation too. Yeah, that's yeah, changing my mind. That's just not going to work. <laughs> that part, and and that bleeds into one. What I'm now I'm adding to the model since I first launched. I'm talking and I, I haven't like publicly called it this yet, but so I'll, I'll do it now. I'm calling this a multiplying factor. Like one of the multipliers, I would say, is high trust relationships, um, which which is us, man. Uh, it's it's not just that we've known each other for so long, though that does help, right? That the, the compound interest over time gets cool. Um, but it's from early on, like you and I were able to go deep, get real. Um, we laughed. We also talked about the heavy stuff we were wrestling through. There, there were not always uh, easy golden times for either of us. And so that high trust relationship just multiplies all this other stuff. Like it gives me self-awareness. Uh, we've learned together the ability that to kind of help me manage my own dark days, right? Uh, decision-making bouncing. I mean, all that stuff comes back. So it's not a, yeah, for me, it's not like a, a, another gear in the engine. It's more like, um, kind of a multiplier to the whole process. So yeah, man. Hey, thanks for, I guess that's a, a long rambly way of saying, dude, thanks for being one of those high trust friends. Uh, this has been awesome. And I'm looking forward to a lot more conversation like this. Oh, thank you, Scott. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, buddy. I hope you enjoyed this episode of upgrade engines with Scott Wozniak. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on life and leadership, you might want to sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.scottwozniak.com slash upgrade. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K.com slash upgrade. You'll get a cool quote, a deep thought, and a recommendation for something that I use and love. It's not long and it should be fun. The theme is similar to this podcast, but it's not the same content. And if you're a leader who wants to build a legendary brand, you can check out my company's website to learn how we can help at www.swazconsulting.com. That's S-W-O-Z consulting.com. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine.